Hello, everybody. Right, the sound seems. Hello, everybody. Right, that should have solved that problem. How are you doing? Welcome to the quorum on a Wednesday. How's everybody doing? Let me know in the chats. Now, uh, let me just put this out there at the beginning. We are not going to have video today because I am on one of my uh, little journeys or travels. So I'm coming to you from the road. And so we don't have video today. Also, we're not gonna have bells and whistles. We're gonna go straight into today's session. Uh, it's gonna be probably the shortest quorum that we have done, if not ever, at least in a little while. Uh, but we're going to trust God that it's going to be no less impactful and no less powerful in Jesus' name. All right, let's pray. Father, we just want to say thank you for tonight. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that you are with us. We know that you are here. Lord, as we go into your word tonight, we ask for the spirit of grace to lead, guide, and transform us by the power of your word. Open the scriptures to us, make them clear, make them unambiguous, and make them powerful to change, transform, save, and deliver. We give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All righty, so a um, couple of house rules before we move on. By the way, if you hear some noise in the background, like I said, I'm not coming to you from either uh, our studio or even my home studio. I'm on the road. Uh, so this is a, an edition of the quorum from the road. I think it's the second or third we've had since we began. Uh, and so I'm powering everything down, you know, uh, no video, no bells and whistles, no music. We're just going to trust the word of God tonight to do its job. And I have no doubt that God is able to do just what he said he will do. A uh, couple of announcements real quick. First of all, you will notice that from this week moving forwards, uh, there are no more multiple streams of most events on multiple channels. So we put the 10th of May as a date to the sand. Uh, it's the quote unquote quarantine period that YouTube gave us when we dealt with the last issue they had with us, uh, or we had with them, whichever way you want to put it. And so moving forwards now, you need to be subscribed to the right channel to get the right content. So uh, Sunday gatherings, quorum uh, episodes like this evening, anything that is under the auspices and the banner of Kingdom Culture Movement as an organization or, me or mega family, the 12 hours of prayer, things of that, the forge, things of that nature, you need to be subscribed to Kingdom Culture TV. That's where this is coming to you now from. So if you know someone who should be here tonight, who you know is not here tonight for some reason, it's a good chance they don't have the right link or they don't have the right channel. They're probably waiting for us to come live on the Cherub or on the Prayer Culture channel. Let them know that this is where they need to be for this kind of stuff. Now, the Prayer Culture Apostolic Hub channel on YouTube is for prayer culture things, the, the, 12, uh, the, the, the prayer watches, um, 
the 24-7 prayer room live stream, uh, events and things of that nature, content specifically around prayer culture that is non-denominational. It is not, quote unquote, a church activity of kingdom culture. So you need to look for Prayer Culture Apostolic Hub on this, on YouTube, and subscribe to that channel for the Prayer Culture watches and all those things. The watches have been going on. By the way, shout out to everybody who's been asking me where I am. Uh, I've been on a little break. I've needed the break, but I'm back next week fully. So you'll see me on the watches. You'll see me in everything. I just needed to shut down, spend time with God, but also spend time doing things, you know, that rejuvenate my soul. And then finally, the Cherub, uh, the Cherub Messenger Dash, is actually my personal channel. So Kingdom Culture borrowed it while we had some YouTube issues, but it's my personal channel. And while there is some overlap, it's for content that is specifically related to me. So you'll see some of my sermons, some of my messages, some of my broadcasts, some of my shows on that channel. You want to be subscribed to that as well. Excellent. Now that we've got that out the way, one more thing. For the last two weeks, uh, you'll have noticed that our 24 uh, watches have been going on in a slightly reduced capacity. Uh, there'll be no live streams or no, no individual streams for each watch. There's just been the 24-7 prayer stream that's been going on, and then you jump on, on Zoom or YouTube as and when. Starting from next week, we're going back into the full flow with the prayer watches. If you are not a part of the prayer culture, uh, Apostolic Hub Telegram channel, Trust me, you do not want to be anywhere else. So get there right now. Uh, I'm just looking, just trying to put that up on your screen. If you can find it. If we can't find, oh yeah, there it is. So it'll be at the bottom of your screen, t.me forward slash KCM Prayer Culture. Uh, and then that way you can be in the loop of everything happening with prayer culture. Uh, we do three prayer watches a day. Uh, give me a second. Yeah, we do three prayer watches a day, uh, Monday to Fridays, uh, and every Tuesday and Friday we do a fourth. So if you uh, want to be part of a community of people who are passionate about prayer, are pushing ourselves, but also are praying regularly on a daily basis and growing as intercessors, that is where you want to be. All right, let's get it going today. So... Uh, apologies, we don't have a fly for you. The, one of the reasons why we don't have a fly for you is uh, today was actually supposed to be the start of the series at the Quorum of How to Hear God. Um, and, and relax, that series is still very much going to be coming your way. Butter. I'm going to say butter. Now, I just had this strange inkling for the last two weeks that God wanted me to address the issue of mental health at the quorum very, very soon. I didn't know exactly what it was gonna be. If I, I almost did that, I almost announced that that was gonna be the next series we're gonna do, and then hearing God after that. Um, for one reason or the other, I decided to go with hearing God first, and hear God first. And then when I found out that today or this week was Mental Health Awareness Week, I felt, <clears throat> I like, did I miss a trick there? But I thought, you know what? We'll just carry on with what we were going to do. And then maybe next week or the week after, whenever we finished the series on hearing God, we would move over to the series on mental health and the Bible. However, uh, between over the last two days and especially yesterday, uh, as I was just thinking about what God would have. And so here we are. Uh, here we are, and we're going to trust God 
that this is going to change someone's life. Um, I, I trust you. I trust God. And this is going to literally transform someone's life. But just so you know, from next week, we are going, uh, well, let's see how, we, how much ground we covered this week. But whenever we finish this issue of mental health in the Bible, whether it's this week or next week, the week after that, we will get into the next series, which is how to hear from God. Biblical principles for divine guidance. I cannot wait for this one because some of you are going to be set free from life altering mistakes in your near and far future when you learn correctly the biblical model for how to receive guidance from the Lord. And yes, there is a biblical model for how to receive guidance from the Lord. And it's not quote unquote, just peace. Uh, and if you don't know my pet peeve with people talking about just having peace when it comes to hearing from God and how many people have made life altering mistakes, when we get to this series, you're literally going to hear me go off. But God is going to transform your ability to hear from him and your life will never, ever be the same. Uh, one of the greatest skills and the most necessary skills I believe every believer should have is the ability to hear from God. Um, when I when, when I started to become a pastor and a discipler of people, uh, I had a three-step process that was, was and still really is, that three-step process was and still really is the summary of my approach to how to disciple or mentor people. Step one is teach them how to encounter God. That's step one. In essence, bring, or should I say, bring them into an encounter with God. Many times, okay, well, I'll tell you then, step two is teach them how to hear from God, both to hear the voice of God in their day-to-day -day lives, but also to discern the will of God from scripture. And then step three is introduce them, well, actually, step one and step two are introducing them to the person of the Holy Spirit because an encounter with God is facilitated by the Holy Spirit and hearing from God, either uh, in hearing from him in the day-to-day -day of your life, but also hearing him from scripture, is also a function of the Holy Spirit. But then step three then becomes teach them how to lean on the Holy Spirit to make day-to-day -day life and morality decisions in line with God's grace. That's my three-step principle or process to discipling a person in God. Most churches of organized Christianity, much of organized Christianity starts from number three and tries to work its way back to number one. So we try to teach people how to live in the day-to-day meaning do this, don't do this, rules and regulations. Then we teach, we hope that along the way, they will learn how to hear God and then somewhere down the line, they can have a radical encounter with God. I believe it's the other way around. They encounter God, but then in moment a person encounters God as a discipler, your priority in prayer and discipleship should be to bring them to a place where they can discern the voice of God for themselves. And it used to be a requirement as a Christian, when I was growing up to hear God, it was just being a believer. But now it seems to be something for only prophets and deep people. We're going to change that. We're going to bring that back. But this week we're going, like I said, we're dealing, or as the title says, we're dealing with mental health and the Bible. So with no further ado, let us get into it, folks. Awesome. If you hear some noise in the background, like I said, I'm set up in a very interesting um uh a format here so um but we'll go so i want you to come with me to psalm 23 um now 
I am going to take an interesting, well, not interesting, but I want to just explain the process that I want to follow today. So um, I'm only going to say this once and then I'm going to move on. Uh, many of you have heard me share my testimony this year and three years ago about my own journey uh, with this issue. My discovery, uh, much to my surprise and shock, and that of many people who love me and know me, that I am what the medical world will call a high-functioning example of an individual, or an example, sorry, of a high-functioning individual uh, who, you know, has and to a large degree still displays a lot of symptoms that are consistent with many of the things that we would put under the banner of mental health, you know, labels. So I want you to understand that when I come to this topic, I don't come as just a theologian. I don't come just as a Bible scholar. I don't come just as a teacher or a quote unquote a rabbi. I come as one who has walked and in many ways still walks this pathway. It is real to me. It is a part of my day-to-day -day experience. Uh, but beyond that as well, I deal with either as a pastor shepherd or as a coach uh, in the secular world, in my practice, the vast majority of people, especially, okay, I take that back, that's not true. It's not the vast majority, but I'd say a, a healthy number, quite a healthy number of the people that I work with in the coaching space and also a significant, significant number of people that I pastor in ministry will also be people who would identify with one or two of the symptoms that fall under the banner of many of the mental health silos. And when I say silos, I mean things like anxiety disorder, ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, depression, uh, psychothemia, which is a mild version of bipolar, which is a, uh, a more significant uh, form of, of severe swings from, from extreme excitement, uh, to extreme depression that last weeks and sometimes even months, not just hours or days. Um, you know, uh, people who deal with Asperger's, now this is beyond my experience, dyslexia, um, even things like dementia, early onset, early onset Parkinson's, you know, things of that nature. There's a whole autism, there's a whole spectrum. It's called the, you know, the whole spectrum. And this being Mental Health Week, let me say this. The church, I must confess, has historically done a bad job, in my opinion, and that includes me, includes the church under my auspices in, in historical times, has done a very bad job, or should I say a suboptimal job, of balancing this issue. And so I come today as, a, as an emissary from the clergy to first of all say, sorry, have mercy on us, we apologize. But secondly, to explain, or not to explain, but to present a perspective that I hope will do a large service or go a long way, should I say, to correcting the historical deficiency in the church's understanding of and dealing with issues that relate to mental health. If you accept that apology, let me know in the comment section. Number two is, I want to I want to make this clear. The phrase mental health does not mean mental sickness. 
Let's make that clear. The phrase mental health does not mean mental sickness. It simply means mental health. In essence, when we talk about mental health, we should not always be talking about things that are wrong with our mental health. We need to be discussing the concept of health in the mental sphere. The same way uh, physical health is not just about when you have a sickness. There is a large amount of preemptive insight into physical health. We talk about being healthy, not falling sick, how to stay in health. And the church has historically been very good at teaching, now this is where we are good, teaching people how to apply the Bible for divine healing, but also for divine health, to walk in divine health. Well, we should apply the same principle to mental health. There should be a component of divine healing for mental health, but also divine health in the mental sphere. How do you preserve, maintain from scripture, manage and thrive in the mental space where the Bible is concerned? Um, the third thing I want to address is, before we go into, into scriptures, is that we need to strike a balance, uh, in my opinion, in the body of Christ. Because one of the things that we're very bad at doing in the body of Christ is we swing from one extreme to the other. So uh, on one hand, you have people, Christians, pastors, uh, spiritual people, who don't see the need for the concept of mental health, who believe that everything is a demon, everything should be bound and casted out, that every form of uh, emotional or mental suboptimal state is exclusively the activity of a demonic presence and that plenty of oil, plenty of hands being laid and shouting at a loud tone will deal with that. And I must confess, I used to be one of those people. If you go back 20 years ago, that was probably where I stood on, 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 on the spectrum. We now have the opposite problem creeping into the body of Christ, which is the over scientification of everything without the understanding that there is a spiritual component to everything in life. Not just health, not just mental health. There is a spiritual component to, see, if you remember nothing from this introduction, remember this, because this goes beyond just tonight and this topic. Your life will change when you start living from the consciousness, the Bible says everything that is seen was created from a realm that cannot be seen. Let me repeat. The Bible says everything that can be seen was created from a realm that cannot be seen. And you can find that in Romans chapter 1 verse 20. Romans 1 20, it says, for since the creation... The invisible things of him from the creation of the world, sorry, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. In essence, everything you see that is physically constructed and exists is a hologram of another dimension from the realm of the spirit. And the Bible says that the things that are seen are temporal. The word temporal in the Greek isn't talking about how long they last. It means the level of their value but the things that are not seen are eternal. 
in essence, that unseen realm is more weighty. And one of the things I'm hoping we will do today, and if necessary, we'll mop it up next week, is to strike that balance between the over-spiritualization of, of mental health and just saying, well, we'll pray and it'll go. But then the other end of the spectrum I see a lot, which is, well, it's all about the science and it's all about the medical perspectives. And therefore, there is no need for spiritual intervention, management or application. And again, like I said, as a man who is practicing, that's the, word, that's the wrong word, who is a, well, let me do a practice in both my life and the issue. I can tell you that the answer that it's a marriage of journey through by asking the question Does the Bible have anything to say about you, your, and my mental health? Is it important to God? Is it important to Scripture? Is there anything to even suggest that God is interested in the well-being or the state of my mind and my mental space outside its relation to whether or not I live a holy life? I want to explain. Okay, so I'm being told that it is breaking. Uh, someone let me know. Is it still breaking? Because I can't hear it breaking on my end, and I have a monitor in my ear. Uh, let me know in the comment section if it's still breaking. If it is, then we'll just have to swap uh, the device we're using. Okay, so the average Christian is very clear that God is interested in their mind. But they have probably been taught that the extent of his interest in their mind is how that mind allows them either live a holy life or not. In essence, God is interested in my mind so that I don't think negative thoughts. I don't, I, I'm not addicted to sexual perversion. I'm not angry or malicious. So we understand that. But ladies and gentlemen, the Bible goes a lot further in the level of importance it places on your mind than just whether or not you can maintain a holy state in that mind. So I want to give you a few scriptures. Now, we may come back next week and I might go a bit deeper, but I want to make sure that if all you listen to is today, you still come away with enough to transform your life. So I'm, go I'm not going to go through every single scripture and every single of these categories, but I'm just going to give you a few. And then maybe next week, we'll come back and break some down a bit further. So let's start with Psalm 23, which is perhaps the most popular scripture in the Bible. It's between Psalm 23 and, and, and John 3.16, in my opinion. Um, but it's one of the two scriptures, one of the two scriptures that the vast majority of all Christians know. So Psalm 23 verse 1 says, the Lord is my shepherd. So we're talking about the Lord here now, L-O-R-D, capital L. The Lord is Yahweh, the Lord, the, the, the real, the big daddy, the mac daddy, the, the boss of all creation, right? The Lord is my shepherd, colon, I shall not want. It then goes on to explain the reality in practical terms of the Lord being my shepherd. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I give you glory. 
In essence, it first starts by saying the Lord is my shepherd, colon, I shall not want. That is a complete statement in itself. There is no colon or semicolon after the word want. So that sentence is complete. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I will not want. Case closed. There's nothing else to add to that. The next few verses are now explaining what is what the practical implication of the Lord being my shepherd is. In essence, they're not adding to the fact that he's my shepherd. They're telling me what I can expect if he is my shepherd. So if you claim the Lord to be your shepherd, hear me, ladies and gentlemen, and these next few verses do not apply to you in full, not partially, hear me, in full. So if there is one part of these next few verses that is absent from your daily reality, then one of two things is the case. Either the Lord is not your shepherd or you are living a far, you're living at a far lower strata than what he has in store for you as your shepherd. Let me repeat. Very important. Listen to me. If verses 2 onwards do not apply to you in any way, if there is one thing missing from your life and daily experience that can be found in verses 2 to 3, so, so verses 2 downwards, sorry, right? Then either the Lord is not your shepherd or he is your shepherd, but you are not enjoying the full cadre, the full spectrum, pun unintended, for those who are uh, who know what the word spectrum means in mental health, unintended pun there. You're not enjoying the full complement of all that he has for you. So I'm going to leave verses three out and deal with the other verses real quick because they make sense. So he makes me louder and green pastures, he leaves me inside still waters. Let's go straight to verse four. Verse four says, Do I walk in the valley of the shadow of the dark? Fear no evil. Thou over me, your rod and side comfort me. We understand this. God's going to be with me in dark times, in, 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 in dark places. In fact, the valley of the shadow of that was actually a geographical part in Israel. But this is also a metaphor for seasons in your life where things are down and low. I fear no evil. Thou art with me. Your word and staff, they comfort me. You prepare the table before me in the presence of my enemies. We, we understand that. The concept of deliverance. Every demon must die. Every enemy in our lives. We know that God should break their jaws, right? We, we get that, don't we? Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord. So there should be a, a an, an element of the, of the goodness of God in my life. And I should be... I should have access to his presence. True. So if all these things are true, if we see all these things as part of the new creation reality, then look at verse three. He restores my soul. Okay, one second. I'm just saying you can't see that on the screen. Right. He restores my soul. And you will notice that it is high up in the list of things that you and I can expect if the Lord is our shepherd. He will make us lie down in green pastures. Make, that's a different sermon. Not ask us to make us. Trust me, God has a way of forcing you to lie down in green pastures, even if you're stubborn. He will lead you beside still waters. But it's 
says he will restore your soul. Now, that is a very interesting phrase if you have been a part of the quorum since June 16 last year. Uh, because now, I want you to come with me to the Blue Letter Bible at all. I want us to look at that word soul in the Greek. Let us look at that word soul in the Greek, the Hebrew, sorry. So Psalm 23, also my internet kind of slow where I am, so um, pardon me if things take a while to load. Okay, I can hear the breaking you guys are talking about. So let's just switch, let's switch device real quick. One of the devices here is a lot better with the internet than the other. So uh, it's gonna go quiet for a little second and then you will hear me back in a second. So hold on. Okay, can you guys hear me now? You should be able to hear me now and it should be a lot better. Cool. Awesome. So let's carry on. Radio. So let's look at that word nefesh, shall we? <laughs> well, I've given it away, sorry. The word soul, sorry. <laughs> uh, let's look at the word soul in the Hebrew and you will see that the word soul here is the word nefesh now everybody in the quorum should know this word now I mean you should you should know this word like the back of your hand um now, it doesn't just mean, it doesn't, it's not referring to the eternal component of a human being. It literally means your, see, see here, it says soul, life, creature, person, appetite, mind, living, being, desire, emotion, passion. It, it literally means that part of a human, the seat of emotions and passions, the, the, the activity of the will, the activity of the character. It literally means that the, 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 the sector of a human being's reality that has to do with their self-consciousness, and their emotional connectivity with the world around them. Now, for the sake of time, I'm just going to ask you to accept, again, if you've been part of the quorum for the last year, 
this is beyond a shadow of a doubt in your mind but if you're new or today's your first time you're welcome the the playlist is in the, in the description please catch up on all of the sessions uh but i want you to just i want you to accept with me that when we talk about mental health we are literally speaking about to a large degree your nefesh The health of your nefesh is the critical component of what the Bible, or what sorry, what the world refers to as mental health from the perspective of scripture. If you understand that, then Psalm 23 takes on a whole new meaning. The meaning it then begins to take on is this. That one... Not only is God extremely concerned about my nefesh, my soul, the seat of my mind, my emotions, and my will, the, the part of my reality that is encapsulated in the context of my mental health. He is concerned about it. It is a criteria of him being my shepherd. He is not my shepherd if he is not concerned about my soul. And again, this word soul here, I'm saying this is not the eternal soul. We're not talking about, about, the, we're talking about the concept of your, your life after human physical death and where you go in heaven or earth. That's not what this word means. Believe me, ladies and gentlemen, trust me, it's not what it means. You can do your research in the Hebrew, Nefesh. It literally means God is concerned, not just about my spiritual connectivity with him in terms of my spirit. He acknowledges that my soul, my nefesh, my emotional and psychological framework is a critical part of his job as my shepherd. So his role as my shepherd in his mind is extremely linked, inextricably linked to the state of my nefesh. My soul, my mind, my emotional, psychological reality. But the second thing this verse shows me is that my soul is what I call a renewable or depletable resource. You don't need to restore something if it never runs out. Are you with me, somebody? There is no need to restore something if it never runs out. Or if you are looking at the word restore in the context of which is actually a slightly better context of restoring a property that's been dilapidated, then there is no need to restore something unless it becomes dilapidated. Let me show you what that word restore means real quick in the Hebrew. The word restore so there we go is the word shub and it means listen to return to turn back to turn back no no sorry, I'm waiting for one point yeah to return again to turn back to restore to bring to render to answer to recompense to recover now let's look at so it's used to turn to turn back to go back uh, of dying of human relations of spiritual relationships to turn away from something to turn back to something 
in repetition now this is what we're looking at to restore refresh repair right um to restore to refresh to make requital to recompense okay um a primitive route to turn back or figuratively with the idea of returning to the starting point generally to retreat to bring something back again right so you get the point in essence god is acknowledging as my shepherd that my nefesh my soul my emotional and psychological reality will constantly need restoration and this word shub in the hebrew is actually let me see if i get my tenses right even when i was in primary school like this is the one part of english that i always struggled with how to I didn't struggle with using the right tense. I struggled with knowing what the tense I was using was called. You know, the, the participles, the continuous, I like, just as long as I can say it, I don't care what the tense is called. But let's see if I can get this right. Is a present continuous tense. In essence, he doesn't restore my soul once and for all. His ongoing role as my, his role as my shepherd requires an ongoing commitment to restoring my soul there is then a colon he leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake in essence if my soul is not restored my ability to walk in righteousness is compromised hear me god is interested and greatly so in the health of my nefesh which is what you and i would refer to as my mental state the bit of the part of me that would come under the term quote unquote mental health all right now let's go to the book of genesis we're laying the foundation first let's go to the book of genesis the foundation is how important is mental health to the bible so we just established that it is a, a a, a vital component of the job description of Christ or the Lord, sorry, as my shepherd. All right, so so Genesis chapter 2, sorry, not chapter 1. I'm looking for Genesis chapter 2. Again, I'm dealing with the misunderstanding that all God is interested about is my spirit and my spiritual condition and how holy and righteous I am, how much I pray and I fast, you know, whether or not I give my tithe, I don't, I don't, uh, commit uh, fornication or pornography and all those things is my is the mind is the soul is the mental space important to the bible so genesis chapter 2 let's go there so the lord god formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life this is verse 7 chapter 2 verse 7 genesis and man became a living soul now let's again this is for those of you who were at the quorum for the first few weeks we covered all this but i need to repeat it for many because many of you have joined over the last year or so and some of you have forgotten what was taught last year and i have never put these concepts in the context of mental health i have taught the concept but we haven't taught them in the context of mental health so i need to go over some stuff we have taught so we can center it in this concept it says the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground. So now in Genesis chapter 1, we see that the Bible says God created man in his image, meaning man was a spirit because God is spirit. In verse 7, chapter 2, he forms man. The word is 
uh, is Yatsar. He constructs a container for man and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. In essence, God literally breathes man out of himself from Genesis 1 into the container he made in Genesis 2. And an interesting thing happened. Notice there's a colon there. Meaning, as a result of God breathing that breath, that ruach, that spirit into the container, something happened. Man became a living soul. Let's look at the word soul. Yes, you guessed what it is. Ta-da! It's the word nefesh. Now, two things again from this. Number one is that the soul is the connector between your body or the physical world and your spirit or the spiritual world. Because when God put that breath, what breath there, roach, literally means breath or spirit or wind, into the physical body, something happened, man became a living soul. So number one is, my soul, my nefesh, is the, is the circuit breaker between my spirit and my body. My spirit is what I need to connect with the spirit realm, including God. My body is what I need to connect with the earth realm, including other human beings and the life I live. And the mechanism that is designed, that was born from the merger of these two things and therefore regulates the interaction, is called my nefesh, again, my soul. The seeds of my mind, my emotion, my thoughts, my character, my psychological perspectives. In essence, the part of me that we would refer to when we talk about mental health. So that part that is designed to bridge my human experience with my divine experience is this nefesh or soul. And like I said, this is the part we talk about when we speak about mental health. So I want to ask you a question. Can you now see why God is insistent on restoring my soul as my shepherd? Because if my soul is allowed to fall into disrepair and dilapidation, as it has for several people, then there will be a circuit breaker in between my capacity to connect with God and my human experience. In simple English, I cannot have a viable, thriving spiritual experience beyond the health of my soul. Are you listening to me? There is no amount of spiritual capacity I can develop that can be correctly deployed beyond the limit of the health of this connector called my soul. In the Hebrew, it's called the nefesh. In the Greek, it's called the psyche or the psyche, sorry, from where we get the word psyche. So when you see psychology, psychiatry, it's from the Greek word psyche, which is in the Septuagint, the word used, again, I'm repeating some things from the Quran, the early days. The Septuagint is the early manuscript of the Old Testament written in Greek. It's important because the original Old Testament is written in Hebrew, but the Septuagint was written in Greek around uh, a century or two before Jesus was born, because at that time, Greek was the lingua franca of the world. What English is to our generation, Greek was to much of the civilized world then. And so many people, in, in even in many Jews, were either born in diaspora or even those who lived in 
uh, lived in Israel spoke Greek because that was the language of the Roman Empire and the majority of the European world and Asian world at that time. And Septuagint is very important because when I compare a passage in the original Hebrew Aramaic Bible with the Septuagint, I can see whatever Greek word was used to translate a Hebrew word gives me an idea that when I see that same Greek word in the New Testament, which was originally written in Greek, I can now connect the thread of thought between old and new. So the word nefesh in the Septuagint is translated suki. They mean the same thing to a large extent. In essence, when we see, when we see suki in the New Testament, we know it's the nefesh of the Old Testament, and that's important because I'm about to show you the word suki. But secondly, it is that word suki from which we get the word psychology, psychiatry. You know, all the terms that are designed the medical space to deal with mental health. So what I'm simply saying is this. This nefesh in the Old Testament and suki in the New Testament is the, is the part of you that is dealt with in the concept of mental health. And we see that, one, it was born from a merger of the soul and the body from the spirit and the body, sorry, because it's designed to regulate them. But then the second thing I want you to see from this, which blew my mind when I discovered it. Pastor Tosi, now you see, there's always one student in every class who is so intelligent, they will not let the lecturer go at their pace. They have to jump ahead to the end of the lecture, but I'm proud of you, Pastor T. Yes, you are right. When the Bible says we should serve God with Oh, I'm, I'm going to go there in a second. The Shema, uh, one of the, 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 the most, in, oh, one of the most, actually the most important commandment according to Jesus, to the, New, to the Old Testament Hebrew, says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. That word soul, nefesh, is there because I cannot love God beyond the capacity of my nefesh. In the New Testament, we'll see scriptures like the Bible says, it is with the mind that we serve the Lord, Romans chapter 7. The word mind there is the word suki. In essence, there is little, if I, when the Bible says, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly, far above all that I can ask or think or imagine, again, these are functions of my mental space, right? Ask, well, okay, you could say that's probably my mouth, but I have to think of something and imagine according to a power that is at work with, in essence, God's ability is trapped within the context of my mind's work. The invincible, immutable, unconfinable God is actually confined in my own experience by the boundary of my soul. It's health and it's renewal. When the Bible talks about renewing the mind, again, because Pastor Tosin has opened up a can of worms, so let's just deal with all that before we move on. It's the same phrase it's talking about. To renew my mind. Now, it's not just bound by how much I have been able to study the word and apply faith based on my knowledge of who and what God is. That is true. But it's also bound by the health of this soul okay but the second thing i want you to see here from this scripture is this it says man became a living soul it didn't say man developed a living soul 
and this is one of my issues with the context you know and i you know i taught this a while back and i've also uh i've been told that a certain brother of well brother in the, in the faith of mine uh i've actually heard somebody sent me I actually heard his uh actually that's not true i didn't hear his sermon on it i heard a clip of his sermon on it which i agree with that the content of man being a spirit who just has a soul and dwells in a body is unbiblical and the majority of the modern day church got it from a man i have a lot of respect for his name is watchman knee I, I have all his books you know if you if you read the book the spiritual man it will change your life it's thick it's thicker than the bible it's it it will transform you the one issue i have with that book the only thing i have wrong with that book because the rest of the book is 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 amazing the man was decades ahead of his time is the concept of man being primarily a spirit it's not correct because the bible never teaches us that every time man is presented in scripture he's never presented as just being a spirit he doesn't say he he developed or he acquired a soul here he says he became a soul meaning the vast majority of my human experience can be approximated by observing my soul let me repeat man is a spirit man is a soul and a body any of those three things missing makes it not a man man is not a spirit who has a soul man is a tripartite being composed of spirit soul and body but for the in, for the purposes of the rest of the bible because this verse is very important to understand the rest of the bible that's why it's in verse it's in chapter two of the bible god is saying moving forwards while there is more to the to the man than a soul but that soul would to a large degree capture the vast majority of everything i need to understand and deal with concerning this man so for the rest of scripture when god is talking about human beings he refers to us as souls we are told that eight souls went into the ark with noah so god was counting souls he wasn't counting bodies or spirit he counted souls we were told we're told for instance that uh, the soul that sinneth shall die now to sin you need a body as well but it says the soul because god is saying that sin while carried out by the body literally was birth hatched and triggered in the soul uh, uh let me give you a few more scriptures um help me holy spirit Elisha would say, as your soul lives and my soul lives, nothing will separate us. So God is saying here that you can literally judge or approximate the judgment of the life of a man by the content and health of his soul. Man became, he didn't develop one, he became literally the seat of everything that shows up in that man's life is now embedded in that soul. Okay, so now that we understand that, a couple more. Remember, we're first establishing uh, does the Bible care about mental health? Right? That, that, that's, that's our question in this first section of today. So come with me to Proverbs chapter 4. Again, one of the most popular scriptures in the Bible. Hope chapter 4, and I think it's verse 23 we're looking for. 
Proverbs 4.23, I believe, is what we're looking for. Now it says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The what it, now let's look at this in the what issue. For the sake of time, I'll just tell you, check yourself, the what issues there is talking about streams, flows. It means out of it issue things of life. It's not talking about issues as in problems. It means out of it are the streams, the springs, the rivers, the, the, the overflow of your life. Okay. Now, having established that I should have done this first. Uh, so let's click on the strong. Actually, there's a shortcut to that I forgot. We could have just gone to the interlinear. But for time, you can tell I haven't taught or preached for almost two weeks because I'm rusty. I'm rusty. Right. So look at what heart. It's another very important word for understanding mental health. It's what leb or leb. Now, it again, inner man, will, heart, understanding, soul, mind, knowledge, thinking, reflection, memory, inclination, resolution, determination of the will, conscience, the heart of moral character, the seat of appetite, the seat of emotions and passion, seat of courage. In essence, we're looking at a, in the word, now, okay, the word nefesh talks about the soul from the context text of your your reality your sense of reality the word leb talks about the soul from the context of its leanings inclinations uh um inspirations proclivities in essence, to want to really understand the context of your mental health, you need to put these two words together. One is more passive; the other one is more active. One is talking about a it's it's the the essence, the material. The other one is talking about what that material does. So it'd be like talking about. Uh, let me give an example now. Um, one is, so if we talk about gold. One is talking about the density and the appearance of gold. The other one is talking about the fact that gold is a conductor of electricity, in essence, what gold does, how gold functions. But they're both talking about gold. All right. So the instruction here is now powerful. It says, keep your heart with all diligence. I think they should settle the question of is your mental health important to the Bible? Keep it with all diligence. Why? For out of it will flow the streams, the issues, the, the, the rivers of life. And what life is the word K? It literally means the reality of every living thing in essence my soul my mind the part of me that is the mental health faculty the seat of my mind will and emotions what we do with the mental health is so important that the rest of my life will reflect what's going on there and that's why the bible says and man became a living soul in essence while man is spirit soul and body but to understand and work with man correctly, the soul is the most important. Hear me. Here on the earth, listen to me. Here on the earth, 
your soul is the most important part. Uh, there's another student in the class who doesn't want us to go on. Now, this is my wife this time. <laughs> uh, baby, you're right. That's what the Bible says. God seeks that I prosper and be in health even as my soul prospers. Because that soul, that nefesh, that leb in the New Testament, the, the suki, is the limiting faculty to my ability to have a spiritual experience. All the spirituality in the world is irrelevant. All the spiritual capacity. In fact, when you and I talk about spirit capacity, about building the capacity of our spirit, what we're really saying is bringing our soul, our mind, our mental space into alignment that that spirit capacity can flow or be made manifest. All right. So, Pastor Tosin dealt with one scripture. Dr. Jockey has dealt with another. Uh, this is um, John chapter 3, verse 2. So, 3 John, verse 2, sorry. Third, there's only one chapter in 3 John. Uh, I, I, beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in hell, even as your soul prospers. Now, let's look at one more scripture before we move to the next section of tonight. Again, like I said, this might be over two parts, so that's fine. Uh, I like to take time with these things because, especially when we're dealing with issues that are either controversial or greatly misunderstood in the body of Christ, rushing does no one any service. If you're an advanced student and you like get to the good stuff, just bear with me. Not everybody knows the Bible as well as you probably do. Right, so Romans chapter 7. Uh, and I believe I'm looking for the last few verses in Romans 7. Uh, I did not make notes for tonight. Well, I never make notes anyway, so... Right. Cool. Romans chapter 7 verse 25. I thank God through Jesus our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. Someone say the mind. Now, this is where it gets really interesting because Paul here is well, Paul is telling us something that should settle the debate. I take that back, not settle the debate, but Paul is, if, if we understood what Paul was saying here, the issue of whether or not God cares about our mental and emotional faculty to be resolved. Let me, let me go back with this. Because for most theologians, they have mind or soul and flesh. Uh, and if you read The Spiritual Man by Watchman Nee, like I said, I love that book. There's only one thing in it that, you know, my further study of the Bible has disagreed with. And the book was written pretty much a century ago, almost a century ago. Um, he will use the word solical when he's talking about the mind or the soul, mind, will, and emotions in their independent state. And then he uses the word soulish when he's talking about them under the control of the flesh. The average Christian has been taught that their mind and emotions are equal to their flesh. And so we are trying to escape from this monster called the flesh. And in so doing, we just tell ourselves, 
my emotional and psychological state does not matter. All that matters is the spirit. You know, and hear me, I have taught, what I'm about to say, I've taught and I stand, I stand by that your soul is treacherous, your emotions, sorry, are treacherous, that the Christian cannot live from their emotions. The Christian cannot trust their emotions as the bellwether or the barometer for their life. Yes, I agree, and I stand by that. In essence, you can't allow your soul govern your life. However, Shay, that's another example. Genesis 7:14, the soul that shall be exactly. So, but um, while I can't live from my soul, we have now taken it to the other extreme, which is my soul does not matter. Anything, in essence, the average Christian has been taught to bind their soul, rebuke their emotions, take, I'm, I'm going to show you how 2 Corinthians has been misrepresented, but wrongly quoting 2 Corinthians to take thoughts into captivity and to pull down strongholds, Right? And they've been taught that that means anything that comes up from the soul dimension is to be ignored, shut down, bound, and blocked away because I'm a spiritual being having a spiritual experience. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I have a very simple question for you. How's that working out for you? <laughs> be very honest with yourself. If you are one of those people who's tried to live your Christian life like that, how's that working out for you? Because that was never God's intention. It's not biblical. It is, it, it is an excessive uh, corruption of a valid principle. All right. So, Paul says, there's a difference between my mind and my flesh. Not everything mental is fleshy. The flesh is my emotional and psychological and mental faculties controlled or under the, under the directive of one, my fallen human nature, and two, demonic influence. That's my flesh. But my mind is an inert, independent, it means it, my mind is neither quote-unquote godly or demonic. It's a tool it's part of my technology it's part of the technology it's part of the technology of the human design that was put there by god to facilitate man's ability to serve and connect with a spiritual reality we then choose whose grid we plug our mind our soul into and it will serve a law meaning it can be configured to run on autopilot after a while that's beyond the scope of tonight but that's what the bible means when it talks about um renewing your mind in essence you can the same way your mind can be configured to run on autopilot in sexual perversion in stealing in lying in every form of human wickedness after a while your mind can also be programmed to run on autopilot in the service and consecration of the lord Mm. so with the mind i serve the law of the law of god now ladies and gentlemen don't you think god will be very interested in the very part of you that he says you need to serve him 
Now, the word here, again, same way we have nefesh and leb in the Old Testament, uh, I think we have actually three words that encapsulate the mental reality in the new. Uh, one of them is, is, is shuki, like I've told you, but another one is the word nous. Uh, and it literally means the mind comprising the faculties of perceiving, understanding, feeling, judging, determining, the intellectual faculty, the understanding, the reason in the narrow sense as the capacity for spirit. In essence, noose is to leb what suki, we will see in a second, is to nefesh. It is with this mind that I serve the Lord or the law of God. This is why he says, if he is my shepherd, one of the first things he would do is constantly restore my soul, my mind, my suki, my noose, my leb, my, uh, my nefesh. Because I am unable, what serve literally means to align with him. I am unable to align with, see, I'm trying to help some of you out. Hear me. I want to be careful. And I was going to say a little less spiritual activity. That's wrong. No, please. Y y'all know me. I'm the prayer guy, right? I'm the fasting guy. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the fire for fire for Christ guy, right? Okay. So, but I'm just saying you will constantly be frustrated in your desire to press into the deeper levels of God and stay there consistently. If you don't first fix the very part of your technology that is designed to help you optimize that experience. So my spiritual health long term will be tied to my mental health. I can make great gains in my spiritual progress and health in the short term, but I will like an elastic band constantly be pulled back to the level, the state, the reality, and the health of my soul, my mind, in quote unquote mental health. And if you read the Bible with clear eyes, like I said, I'm going, I only went through a few scriptures today. I'm going to move on to the next part of today so, so we can finish on time. Maybe we'll come back next week and go deeper. If you read the Bible with clear eyes, mental health is all over scripture. Hear me? All over scripture. It's in, every, it's in pretty much, let me think this through. I believe it is pretty much in every book of the Bible. Now, I've, I've not checked that. I've not, go, I've not gone, I've not done that check myself, but I can, I, I, I know for a fact it's in, a, it's in at least two thirds to three quarters of the Bible. Dr. Doka is right. For instance, try praying when you're depressed. Just try. Come and tell me how that goes. In many cases, what you and I call sin are, are partially, not completely, Satan hijacking the machinations of the soul in addiction. And go on and on and on. But we're not there yet. Maybe next week for that. You know what? I've got one more scripture for you. I, I can't leave this one out. I cannot leave this one out. So 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Holy Spirit, I just want you to know that I'm so grateful. Thank you for loving me, for trusting me, for doing what you do through me. To you be all glory. Let the world know that I am nothing without you. 2 Timothy 1.7. 
there are times when I minister where I literally feel a hijack. And I know in that sense, you know, I, I'm always, every preacher should always be working by grace. But there's times where you literally feel the wind of God blow through you. And if you've done this as long as I have, it becomes very humbling because you know what you're like outside him. And when he literally begins to inspire either your words or your your hands in the service of his kingdom, you know, the times where you just stand back and say, man, God, you're deep. And, and you need to remember that the deeper God takes you in using you because as, as easily as he chose you, he can dump you if you um, ever start to smell yourself. So now I want you, let's read this in context. This is Paul talking to his spiritual son, Timothy. So he, he refers to him, Timothy, you're my son. Yes, I thank God who I serve in my forefathers with a pure conscience. Notice that word conscience. I don't have time to deal with that, but that word conscience actually is a part of the mental space. But there's no time to go there for today. He then goes to verse 3. I desire to see you. Again, that's mental. Paul's saying, Timothy, I desire. That's a mental thing. I, I, so the, the, the apostle is missing his son. And he says, I am mindful of your tears. Timothy, I'm mindful of your emotions that I may be filled with joy. But again, that's not really where I'm trying to get to. He then says, verse 5, this is where I'm trying to get to. I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith in you. So he's saying, Timothy, there is a faith in you that is strong. He's saying, Timothy, you're a good Christian. Your, your brand of Christianity is not faulty. Paul is giving Timothy the gold standard approval. He's saying, Timothy, I can attest that your walk with God is for real. I saw this faith in your mom and your grandmom. He then says, I'm putting you in remembrance. So he's talking to the guy with a solid walk with God. He's saying, Timothy, your faith is exemplary. Your, your Christianity is of the right sort. He then says, I want you to stir up a gift of God. In essence, not only do you have the right foundation in your work with God, there is a latent anointing on your life that was imparted when I laid hands on you. He says, I want you to stir it up. Meaning, activate the glory of God on your life. Activate your divine giftings and anointings. This sounds good so far. This is a guy who Paul, God, Paul says, your, your, your Christianity is of the right sort. And oh, you're actually very gifted and anointed. Just stare those gifts up. He then says, for, pause. Now, see, it, it, again, you must, re this is why I was giving the Holy Spirit praise because, you, I mean, look at this. For, meaning verse 7 is useless without the context of verse 5 and 6. So this scripture we all quote, for the Lord hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but... The context was, look, dude, your walk with God is correct. And you have latent spiritual gifts and anointings on the inside of you. I want you to stir them up. Why? Because, that's what the word for them means. Because God has not given us the spirit of fear. But the spirit of power and of love and a sound mind now first of all fear obviously is a component of the mental realm i i don't i don't have the time and if you don't understand why that is then i don't really know how to help you and bible talks about and this is one of the when we talk about maybe next week the the, the balance between 
medical concepts and spiritual concepts in dealing with mental health, 2 Timothy 1, 7 is going to be something we talk about. The Bible tells us that there's a spirit of fear. There is a spiritual component behind a lot of the mental health, uh, 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 mental health silos or the silos of mental health, of, of suboptimal mental health. I'm trying, I don't want to call them conditions or disorders. Um, and I'm talking as what I'm talking as an exp somebody who you know has skin in the game. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm 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 in it too. Okay, um, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now let's look at the word mind there. Let's look at the word mind there. Hmm. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You are good, good, so good. And a sound mind. Now, it's the word sophronimus, sound mind. Sophronimus or Sophronismus, sorry. And the root word for Sophronismus, right, is the word Sophronizo. Now, Sophronizo means to be restored to one's senses, to moderate, control, curb, disciple, to hold one to his duty, to exhort earnestly. In essence, literally, to correctly calibrate the mental state of a person hear me to mentally calibrate a person's state or to calibrate a person's mental state correctly now the root word for sophronizo is the word sophron right and sophron means of a sound mind sane in one's senses Curbing one's desires, impulses, self-control, temperate. Ladies and gentlemen, are you seeing what the Bible has to say? And then sophron comes from two words. The first part of the word, right, is the word sozo, which we use to talk about salvation, to save, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction. To save a suffering one, it literally is used of the salvation of the New Testament, right? And the second word in suffering, the word after sozo, right, is the word friend or frame, which means the part of the heart, the faculty of perceiving and judging. So you put that all together and what you get is this. Paul is telling his son Timothy, dude you have the right faith your walk with god is correct your christianity is the right one you're not a fake christian and secondly what did i just do there um secondly there are dimensions of power and the authority of the holy spirit that are latent in you he then says, for God has not, in essence, Timothy, the thing holding you back from your full potential is a spirit of fear. And the antidote to that spirit of fear is the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. In essence, ladies and gentlemen, I put, I, I strongly suggest, or should I say I suggest, I strongly suspect, I mean, that Timothy would perhaps have been a high-functioning example or an individual, an example, sorry, of a highly functioning individual 
who in our modern day world would have demonstrated one or two symptoms that would have fallen on the spectrum of one or more mental health buckets. In essence, Timothy would have been similar to the man talking to you. And we'll deal with that next week. You know, the because we will have to do next week now, the, the stereotypes of mental health that you need to be drooling from the mouth or be banging your head against the wall or need to be sectioned for you to be a person that needs help in the mental space. Many of the highest functioning individuals in history, science tells us, people like Albert Einstein would have been on the spectrum or in the, in the, in the bucket of many of the mental health, either disorders, conditions, or, or, or what I, I don't like to call them disorders, uh, mental health, bike, I just call them buckets. Because as I have found out in both my research and my personal experience and dealing with me, the fact that I'm different from most people doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. Some people are six feet tall, some people are four foot tall. The fact that the average human being is somewhere around six doesn't mean that a person who's four and a half feet is is sick. That's how they are created. That, that was how they were born. The same way the person who's eight foot is not a monster. Now, the, the, the four foot person may need to understand that there are things a normal sized person can do they need help with. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with them. But if they need to get something from the top shelf, they need a ladder or a stool. It's the same thing in the mental space. The fact that my mind works slightly different from yours and I need more support, I need a ladder to do or reach some things that your mind can reach just by stretching your hand, doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. It's called neurodiversity in science. Now, there are situations where it is obviously a problem. So when a person needs to be sectioned or when a person is born with you know there's some disorders that go beyond just diversity now but i'm just saying a large section of what you and i what science and the church has stereotyped in my opinion is not necessarily a sickness as it is a an issue of understanding that if my arms are shorter than yours i need a ladder if my legs are shorter than yours you beat me in a race but i'm not abnormal and many of the people who we would call mental health, you know, candidates, quote unquote, are extremely high functioning. Paul is telling Timothy, dude, see, you got the right faith. The gift of God is on you. Stare it up because God hasn't given you the spirit of fear, but a love power and a sound mind. We've seen sound mind. So in essence, there's a spiritual component now to a sound mind. And God is saying, my spirit is designed to bring you into a place of suffering. As you connect with me correctly, in essence, if you are walking with God in the fullest ramifications of all that he designed for you, there should be a component of his dealings with you that addresses your mental health and either maintains it or corrects it if there's a problem there. So I hope with these few points of mine, ladies and gentlemen, this is a Ni an old Nigerian joke from those of us who used to do debates. 
I hope with this few points of mine, I have been able to convince you and not confuse you. The Bible is extremely, extremely, extremely concerned about your mental health and mine. And I could go on. There's several other scriptures, but I, I just this, this last one was so juicy. I forgot about it while I was talking. I just couldn't let it go. Silah. Okay, let me, let me drink my water. So now that we've established that, hmm, to do, to do, to. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? I'm going to call an audible here. We've got 30 minutes or less, uh, about roughly about 30 minutes to go. And the next component of what I want to address will not be done in 30 minutes. And I don't want to leave us on a cliffhanger. If we need to make this a three-part series, let's do so. And let today just be establishing that God is concerned. The Bible and God are concerned and have a lot to say about my mental health. So I'm going to open up for some questions on what we talked about today. We're going to spend the last 30 minutes answering questions. Next week, I'm, I want to show you next week examples of suboptimal mental health in scripture. I want to take you through individuals in the Bible who either in clear language or by inference, if you brought what the Bible writes about them into our modern day life, you and I would diagnose them with one or more mental health situations. It'll shock you all over scripture. There are also people who, while they may not have had a mental health situation long-term, were demonstrating in that moment fragile or less than good mental health. And then we'll also deal with what the Bible has to say about how to bring the power of God to bear in the area of your mental health. And then... Week three, we'll, you know, maybe if we need, to, if, if we need a week, week three, we'll mop up some other things. So, um, I want to open up for questions here. I just, I'm just making that decision on the fly so that we don't, I, I don't want to get sidetracked into something that we can't do justice to. And then, it, you know, it, it, so let's just take the time and do some questions. Um, so, I'm open for questions now. Okay, so we don't, oh, we don't have a slide though. Because um, I wasn't planning to do questions. So for questions, you're going to have to just put the questions in the chat section. Is that okay? Um, if there's anything that is... Let me see if I can set up a Slido real quick. Um, one second. Let me see if I can set up a Slido real quick. In case anybody wants to ask an anonymous question. Right. Um... Okay, Slido, Slido, Slido. Okay, there we go. I'm in. Right, right, right. Okay. So, let me see now. Let's call this the quorum. Create Slido. And then... I will pop this up on the 
screen slido nope that was not what i was trying to do nope again not what i'm going for uh there we go right so slido is one six four one one two nine so if you have any questions pop them in right now i've got 30 minutes and i want you to focus your questions uh on what we've covered today i understand there's a lot again like i said i'm going to take my time with this if it takes three weeks like the divorce uh, marriage and uh, uh domestic abuse matter if that if it takes as long as that to deal with fine this is mental health week so you know or mental health awareness week it's a great week to start but we don't have to finish so we're going to take our time we're going to take it slow if we need to um but that's the slido questions on what we've dealt in essence questions about what the bible has to say about mental health uh but also the church the body of christ and its attitude to mental health and how important it is um and whether or not it you know this whole concept of well we just focus on our spirit beings and and you know i've even heard preachers say and don't don't get me wrong there's a, there's a thin line but i've heard preachers say things like the church is not the place to be dealing with these kinds of issues you know we should hold seminars and things of that nature we should preach the word in essence i mean preach the cross preach sin preach healing faith but you know we should leave issues of the mind and you know I'm not, I, now I'm not talking about personal development. I'm talking about the psychology of the human being and, 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 and things of that nature and how the human soul and experience works in terms of my feelings, my emotions, you know, uh, how I can, you know, quote unquote, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being sarcastic here now. I'm, 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 I'm intentionally being troublesome. Live my best life now. Um, and and I, I'm, you know, you guys know me, I'm, I, but the Bible says so much about it. So, how do I preach the word and live out a huge chunk of what the scripture says, but also the chunk that has to deal with what we've just seen, the, the part of my, of my technology that I need to correctly connect with God. Alrighty, so let's see if we have any questions. And if we don't, we'll just close it there today and we'll come back next week all right so this device is going very slow because of the internet bear with me Okay, so is it true that you can be depressed, but it's not your depression? Question number one. E.g. generational depression. Whew. So this is a question that we probably will have to deal with in more detail in week three. Uh, because it's beyond the scope of the introduction, but let me say this. Both science and the Bible are clear that mental health struggles can be hereditary science is science established that long ago but then hear me the bible says listen the bible says 
God will visit the iniquity to the third and fourth generation. That scripture, fine, let's go there. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Let's go there. Let's go there. Right, so uh, Deuteronomy, speak, chapter 5. And you know what we always say, when you get to Deuteronomy, always make sure you dethrone your enemy. By the way, what do you guys think about this chilled version of the Quorum? Um, you know, it's the one I always have to do when I'm on the road. But I kind of like it. I kind of like this, you know, chilled out. <laughs> uh, almost conversational approach. You know, it's not every day. All right. So, okay, I take that back. It should be every day. I mean, but it shouldn't be every day that, you know, I'm preaching at the, mic at the camera with my nostrils flaring so thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them nor serve them for i the lord thy god am a jealous god listen visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me so let's look at the word iniquity because notice it doesn't say the punishment for iniquity this word iniquity has been grossly misunderstood so let's go to the word iniquity and oh a bunch of people just hopped off when we said questions that's fine that's fine. Um, it's a good word, iniquity. Maybe they don't need to deal with this kind of stuff. It's the word ion, right? Uh, no, that wasn't what I was trying to do. This is what I was trying to do. Iniquity, 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 where we are. There we go. So, iniquity. The Hebrew word is ion or avon, sorry, right? Avon. It means, listen, perversity, depravity, iniquity, guilt, or punishment, iniquity. Okay. But now, let's take it deeper. Let's look at the root word. It's the word ava, which means to bend, to twist, or distort. Simple. To bend, to twist, or distort. To bend to twist or to distort in essence to 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 deform something um iniquity literally means the condition of my mind and soul that tends in a particular direction that is not god's desire or expectation in essence, it doesn't just cover the tendency to commit sin. It covers the, 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 the distortion of the faculty of my will, mind, and emotions in any area, including, quote-unquote, listen, in the area of mental health. Now, I'm talking about disorders now, number one. Number two, and I'm, I'm not going to go through every scripture with this kind of time, the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that, um, not in the book of Acts, about Genesis, that Levi paid tithe in Abraham. Um, I don't have, mm, try to be careful with this now because I don't have time to break it down fully. But there is a clear doctrine in scripture that whatever a progenitor did, the descendant is seen from the realm of the spirit to have done or have experienced. In essence, when you come from someone's loins, when when you come from the nfesh the bible says for instance in the book of leviticus that the the life of the creature is in the blood so the the life of the nefesh the nefesh story of a creature is in the blood 
in essence, since blood is hereditary, since quote unquote blood is quote unquote generational, um, certain things are generational. Like sickness, we can see, can be generational. Um, any effect of the fall of man is generational because whatever Adam and every other progenitor did or experienced is imprinted in the in the in the fallen nature of humanity in our in their descendants and so yes things like depression can and many times are generational i don't mean just not being happy for those of you who know what i'm talking about real depression the real diagnosable depression not just the well you know <laughs> uh, my boyfriend broke up with me my girlfriend doesn't want to date me anymore so i'm unhappy for a few weeks no i mean that medical side the bit that can almost be sometimes is uh supernatural and demonic yes the the proclivity to it the weakness to it the the tendency that you are more susceptible to it than somebody else very many times is generational in nature but we will deal with this and the the theology for it in more detail in what will now probably be week three so second question, if your mind is continually being restored, why is concentration still difficult? Well, first of all, one of the reasons concentration is difficult for most, Christ, for most people now has nothing to do with mental health illness or mental health situations. The average human being today has been designed to live a life of out of control dopamine. Mobile phones, TVs, computer games, uh, instant gratification. It used to be that if you wanted to have fun, you had to, you know, go and do something physical and come back. Now you can wake up in the morning and immediately go on your phone, go on TV, incite your pleasure and your uh, your attention receptors. And so the average person is is wired to be distracted. Is the point? So that's just number one. Part of that is just who we are today, and that can be corrected by things like meditation and mindfulness and discipline. You know, coaching, um, self-development. Uh, it shocks me. When I was in, and I wasn't in university that long ago, ladies and gentlemen. You hear me? I, not that long ago. Hello? Hello? I went to university in the first few years of this millennium. We had two-hour lectures every day. Every single day, there was at least one two-hour lecture in university. And we sat through it. <laughs> you know, and many of my mates, like myself, graduated with great grades. And even those who didn't graduate with great grades have now gone on some of the people who are the, the runt of the litter in my, my university class. I can see them on LinkedIn now. Our senior managers in some of the biggest companies in the world. But we have a generation now where we we're told everything must be cut down to 10 minutes because if you can't condense it in 10 minutes you lose them part of the problem is this generation has been wired for constant dopamine social media tv all these other things have so destroyed it that it needs to intentionally redevelop the muscle of concentration and focus but having said that right yes there is a component to distraction and those of us who have dealt with things like 
ADHD, for instance, will know that this is not just an inability. I'll give you an example. Um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which is a, one of the mental health, I call them buckets. I don't like to call them illnesses. I just call them buckets because in my opinion, it's not an illness per se as someone who has dealt with it my whole life. Uh, it's, it's like having short arms. Doesn't mean I am sick. I just can't reach what the, the, a, a normal height person can reach. So if I understand that I'm naturally short, I can buy a ladder or get a stool to help me deal with the consequences of that. But there are conditions like this where your body's hormonal system is out of balance. I don't want to go into the details today, but there are hormones that are either too high or too low or in balance or out of control where a normal person can say, well, I'm just being distracted here. I'll put my TV off. I'll put my phone down and I'll be fine. A person with this situation literally is dealing with a physiological condition that makes concentration extremely difficult under certain circumstances. On the flip side, that same person can now be the victim of something called hyperfocus, where once they do latch onto something, they can't let it go. You know, if you've ever been the kind of person who you remember that there's something you want to deal with and you have to be at work the next morning until 5 a.m. in the morning, you just can't go to sleep till you sort this thing out, even though it's not urgent. Many times at the detriment of something that is urgent, you know what I'm talking about. So yes, that component, like I said now, is part of the restoring my soul. I can place a demand on God as my shepherd for grace to function beyond the demands or beyond the limitations of that situation. And I am a practical example of this, right? Left to my devices, I am, I am a scatterbrain of the highest degree. Um, left to my devices, I can't sit through. If I, if I start watching a YouTube video, in the first 10 minutes, I've gone through six or seven. But then when I tap into God, so for, for prayer for me when I first started trying to pray long was, <laughs> you don't want, I would give it my best and I would have done five minutes and I'll be panting. But there is a level of grace you can find with God where the same way he gives you grace to deal with sin and physical sickness, you can also place a demand on him for mental help. Um, reading the Bible is a great way to do it. The Bible says he restores my soul. It says we should renew our mind, right? So in essence, reading the Bible yourself, itself is a renewal of the mind, is a restoration of the soul. Uh, spending precious time with God, uh, worship, prayer, fellowshipping with other believers. You know, uh, we walk in the light, if he's in the light, then... then um, we have fellowship with one another and the blood just cleanses us from all iniquity. Again, this is more than just sin. It means being in Christian fellowship itself has a soothing effect on my soul over time. You know, so there's, there, there, there are ways in which this will work spiritually and even psychologically. However, to answer the question, final, the last part of the question, why is it still difficult is because the natural order of the world today after the fall of Adam is to tend towards disorder. So I need a force to keep things good. If I don't apply force, things become bad. To rule, if you understand that rule, life and the spirit realm will make sense. 
You can't fix something once and walk away and keep it fixed. You can't clean your house once and walk away and you'll stay clean. No, you come back a week later, it's dirty. <laughs> right? The fallen world naturally tends towards disorder in the spirit and the natural realm. So to keep things in order, there must be a continuous application of a force. And the, the, the Lord as my shepherd restoring my soul, I must place a demand on it. Again, another mental health verse. It is with joy we draw waters from the wells of salvation. So everything that God has made available for us in, in the new creation is found in the well of salvation. And the bucket I need is joy. What's one of the first things that's attacked when mental health is compromised? It is joy. That's the whole purpose of things like depression, anxiety, uh, bipolar, cyclothemia, you know, things of that nature, panic attacks, all that kind of stuff. Many of these things attack our joy, and in that state of a lack of depletion of joy, we cannot connect with the well of salvation that we need to draw from to actively implement the restoring of our soul. Okay, I'm going to move on from that question. Does it mean God can't really use me if I struggle with mental health? The answer to that is no. In fact, many of the people God uses the most are people who struggle with mental health. Why? The Bible says that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. I'm a prime example, right? God gets more glory when, and that's why I like to tell the stories of my issues, whether they be the issues with mental health or my past when 20 years ago or thereabouts, I was struggling with sexual sin. One of the reasons why I like to be honest with people about my deficiencies is I want them to see that there is treasure in this earthen vessel, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not me. I want you to look at me and say, hmm, if that guy is as jacked up as he says he is, then I have hope. In essence, if, if God can work through his, in, through his deficiencies, his inadequacies, then I also have hope as well. And ladies and gentlemen, many of the people God uses the most struggle with their mental health. However, there is a difference between God using you and you being optimal in your relationship with him. So God can use anybody. In fact, he loves using people who struggle with mental health. But you will not, have, you will not enjoy the optimum level of your personal. There's dimensions in your walk with him. Not what he uses you to do. Your life with him your intimate the, the experience and the enjoyment of all he has for you in your everyday life to optimize that right you will need to place a demand on his grace to deal with mental health issues does that answer your question and so that's one you can actually make this a prayer point <laughs> It's like saying, Lord, you know, if you, if you heal me from a physical condition, I will serve you well, Lord. The Bible says it, it is with the mind, the suki, the nefesh, the lev, the, uh, what's the last one? Suki, nefesh, lev, and the, the noose that I serve you. So if you want me to walk with you deeper, you know, heal this difficulty I'm having. Okay. How can we share our struggles with other believers who don't understand and be very judgmental and hurtful? Well... Um, anonymous, I'll be honest with you, that's one of the reasons why I'm doing today. Um, and, you know, when I began to share with my wife, uh, my understanding of my, you know, my wife's a medical doctor, my father's a medical doctor, 
my mother's a pharmacist, you know, so I, I, I grew up around medics and, um, you know, they say sometimes the hardest person to treat or diagnose is somebody you love. Uh, nobody in my family would initially believe me when I first told them. But then the more I began to share with them my experiences, um, some, some, some of them started to say, wow, how did I miss that? You are right. That is textbook this. That is textbook that, right? That's textbook A, B, and C. Um, and so even my own biological family did not see it because one, it's not, especially growing up in the parts of the world I did at the time I did, it's a lot better now. So I grew up right decades ago in Africa. So we, we have both a generational gap and a cultural gap from modern day Western civilization where these things are obvious and are very clearly understood. But then secondly, um, and I want to say this carefully, there are too many people who hide behind mental health difficulties to justify just failures of character. And other people get fed up with it. So if, if somebody who's always late keeps saying, well, you know, it's, it's my ADHD. Um, sir, again, talking from experience, we understand you struggle with ADHD, but um, you've been late one year consistently. <coughs> After a while, people start to tune stuff like that out even when they hear it from other people. So it's one thing that I had to really deal with in my own life to say, hey, okay, fine, okay, fine. Or discoveries don't, don't mean that you get a pass with certain things. They just now should give you a tool and a window to understand your struggles better to more effective, like I said, the short man doesn't just say, well, I'm short. No, now that I know I'm short and I can't reach the top shelf, it is incumbent on me to go buy a ladder or get a stool, in essence. It may take me more effort, but I should put things in place to help me address. Um, I'm being told my mic is dead. You guys can't hear me? You can hear me, but not from my mic. Uh, there should be no other way that you can hear me right now, but through my mic. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on. My mic is the only way that you should be able to hear me right now. The quality dropped. Okay. Um, thank you for that, Chrissy. I don't know what to do about that. I'm just going to have to carry on. It's going to have to carry on, uh, but thanks for pointing that out. Okay, so, like I said, that's another reason. The third reason is simply this. Um, people misunderstand what they don't, or people, sorry, people usually judge what they don't misunderstand. People judge what they don't misunderstand. Um, and in no other way is this perhaps more painful than in the area of mental health because part of mental health difficulties are that they leave you emotionally vulnerable. In essence, you can have a physical disability or a physical issue and be very strong in your mind. So when you are rejected or judged or mistreated, your mental strength will let you brush it off easily. 
by definition, suboptimal mental health means that your mentality is probably compromised or vulnerable. So it makes it a double whammy. Not only am I struggling with something, but that struggle leaves me vulnerable to rejection and misunderstanding and judgmental behavior from other people. And so to answer the question how we can share our struggles with other believers, that's why I'm doing some of the stuff that I'm doing with this. I think those of us who are very high functioning need to become, and Munji, great point, I'm gonna address that in a second. Those of us who are very high functioning need to become advocates for others to say, hey, you guys think I'm great, right? Okay, well, I do struggle with this behind the scenes. So that lady who says she's struggling with you, don't judge her because your pastor who you respect and honor and you think is the best thing since sliced bread has the same problem. And that says, I can validate the struggles of another person who may not be as high functioning as me by being an advocate about my own struggles, which is really one of the reasons why I do it. You know, even though it's uncomfortable sometimes and some of the people who love me don't like hearing me talk about it publicly. But I made a decision. I made it first with my dealings with God in my deliverance from sin. And now I'm making it in my deliverance from this other side of things because I want people to be able to say, hey, you don't need to be sectioned to have a mental health struggle. The same way you don't need to be a pervert to have a sinful struggle. And I think the church also needs to demystify this thing and make it less less taboo, in essence. Um, make it clear that the same way it's not taboo to be short. It's not, it's not, you're not a monster if you're short. You're just short. Or shall I say vertically challenged? The same way you're not quote and unquote crazy. You're just I don't even want to use the word mentally challenged. You just need more support on the mental side of things than the average human being. So Muji said the deeper side of mental health is when your soul experiences trauma and your mind is exactly and um Oh, somebody said, thank you, so there's hope for me yet. Whoever that is, God bless you. Um, that's why I'm doing this. So people like you is the exact reason why I'm doing this. And so that 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 comment really just, um, I, I feel like crying. You're welcome, whoever you are, you're welcome. Um, now, it's beyond the scope of this, because we're talking about mental health and the Bible. But I'm hoping that many of you, after these two or three weeks, will go out and begin to do, or during these three weeks, of God, begin to do your own research and also begin to deal with the concept from a practical perspective, because yes, uh, there are many of us who are living out internalized traumas, right? That is manifesting in. See, if you, if you, anyway, I, 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 I don't have time because um, I don't want to open a Pandora's box. I can't close. I'm not a licensed medical health practitioner. I am a partially trained counselor. I have one more set of exams I need to pass if I'm going to practice. Um, but so I'd, I'm not doing any diagnosis and I don't want to open, I don't want to leave you guys raw and vulnerable tonight. So Namunji, I'll leave that for a professional to deal with in one-on-one -on -one with people. And maybe, maybe after the, maybe, maybe on week three, maybe we'll bring in, because I know a couple of people who are counselors or, 
or, uh, or psychologists uh, who are also great Christians, and many of them are actually prophetic Christians. Uh, some, I should say some, not many, are prophetic Christians. And so maybe, maybe we should bring one or two of them to address this from a balanced perspective in week three. Uh, is there any such thing as total victory for mental illness? Well, the answer is yes, and I've seen cases like that. The same way there's total victory sometimes over physical illness, there is. Now, let me caveat that. First of all, what are you calling illness? Because when I went to God about some of my issues, he said to me, you're not ill, you're just neurodiverse. In essence, you're the short guy who needs a, a stool. You're not sick. So not everything is an illness that I'm trying to explain. Not everything that has to do with mental health, mental health should be called an illness. The same way, not everything with physical health. Is called, you don't call somebody sick because they quote unquote have, I don't know, you, you don't, if someone's obese, right? We don't usually refer to it as an illness, do we? Even though technically you could argue it is. You know, so, um, or if somebody has, um, I don't know, what's, 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 let me look for a word now. Somebody has, um, I don't want to give a wrong example, so I'll leave it. But the point I'm making is this. Not everything is an illness. Some things are designed the way God created you. As, as, as straight as that is, God created you in a way that is neurodiverse. Medical science has called it a disorder sometimes because you are different from the vast majority of other people. But it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. You're just different from the vast majority. It means that your brain doesn't work the exact same way another person, most other people's brain works. And that in itself can be a part of God, the beauty of God's creation. Now, there's a second level to that, which is the consequences of the generational and Adamic sin Right, like Jesus told the Pharisees, uh, his disciples. So the disciples asked Jesus, "Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind?" Jesus says, "Neither did." Meaning, in some cases, some will. So the same way, the consequence of sin can sometimes partially manifest, right, as um, physical sickness. So also sometimes it can partially manifest as mental or suboptimal mental capacity. Now those ones can be healed and i have seen it happen right and i'm pressing in in this season of my life and ministry one of the things i want to see god do as the anointing of my life grows is more and quicker manifestations of complete healing in that area so the fact that i pray for a person in a wheelchair and not all of them get healed doesn't mean it's not god's will i'm going to keep pressing till a day where every wheelchair i touch is thrown away the same way as a minister, I commit in this season of my life to continue pressing into higher levels of God to where every mental circumstance uh, is dealt with. Now, somebody just put a comment, and I agree. The fact that part of this answer that when a person has had surgery after wheelchair, had surgery after a condition that left them wheelchair bound. They're not expected to stand and run straight away, and that's true. So many times, it's not that God hasn't healed you. It's that the healing, quote, so God may have healed the condition, but your mind, quote, unquote, or, or your psyche has either atrophied or been wired to work around a problem for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. It's going to take a while for it to work out the kinks, and so... Sometimes it's a, it's a gradual manifestation of that healing and being too impatient or quick and or um, 
and or judging yourself or dealing with the judgment of others while that process is working out can actually hinder the process and worsen it. Okay, so um, I have no more questions. It's exactly 9 p.m. I am going to call it a night here. Um, I've enjoyed tonight, you know. Maybe once in a while we should do quorum like this. Just I'm just sat down at a, you know, at a dining table in the accommodation I'm in, you know, with my laptops and my gadgets around me. But I'm just chilled out, you know. I'm just vibing like I would if I was in the same room as you guys having a conversation. I've loved it. Um, let's pray. I, I, just, I just hope somebody's life has been, well, I know somebody's life has been transformed tonight. We'll be back next week with this. So we're, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this this week, next week, right? And potentially the week after. And then when we are done with that, in either either next week or the week after, we will then move. Uh, one second. Do do What are we doing here? So after we're done with that, one second. What's going on here? Right. So after we're done with that, uh, we will then move to the series on how to hear from God. And in fact, now that I think about it, this is beautiful because a lot of the problem many of you have in hearing from God will actually be addressed when we deal with mental health. Now, not mental illness, mental health. I'm not talking about mental disorders or mental conditions. I mean, if you practice good mental health in your everyday life, your prophetic tune, or your prophetic frequency will, will go to another level. Let me repeat. If you can keep a good handle on your mental health, meaning you are maintaining good mental health. I'm not talking about needing the healing from a mental health illness. I mean, if you're maintaining positive, good mental health, you'll hear from God a lot easier and a lot better. All right, folks, let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Holy Spirit, I love you. Hmm. Thank you for your glory. Hmm. Let it be known that I am nothing without you. I'm just so grateful for all that you continue to do in, with, and through our lives, all of us. But Lord, I'm praying specifically about mine. Take all the glory. Take all the praise. Father, right now I stretch my hand in the spirit to anybody around the world who needs a touch from Baruch Nanzevedidabariyanteke from heaven. Lord, anything that falls under the bucket or the canopy of mental health that needs a touch from disorders to illnesses, personality disorders, things of that nature, Lord. Even just temporary poor mental health, anxiety, depression, worry, pain, people dealing with grief, struggling to forgive, or whatever it is, from, from people who need healing from medical section madness all the way down to the person who's processing temporary grief. 
Let the supernatural power of God move in the air right now and touch and heal in Jesus' name. We give you all the thanks and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. Love you. It's been live. Um, unfortunately, I don't have music for you uh, to play in and play out. We're just going to end it here. Like I said, I'm on the road, so I'm not set up for a more elaborate uh, time. We'll see you next week at the quorum at 7 p.m. Uh, and let me take this off. Actually, this is wrong. Next week, we'll be continuing with the Bible and mental health. And we'll be going chapter and verse as the Spirit of God gives us grace. Share today's video with someone. It may literally save their life physically or emotionally. And I'll see you next week, Wednesday. Of course, prayer culture, uh, telegram group, the watches all going on as usual. Um, I'm looking forward to being back with you guys in the trenches next week. Take care. Bye-bye.